How many of you love Jesus? Say amen. amen. I'm excited today. This is number six in the series called Built that we've been doing. Um, we are going to wrap it up actually next week. Next week we're going to start a brand new series and we're going to conclude this one. So I'll preach actually two times Sunday morning but preach four messages in those two times. It's going to be Built 7 and it'll be suited number one. We're starting Ephesians 6 and we're going to actually take eight weeks in that one section from Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through the end of the chapter where we talk about the armor of God. So I'm very excited about this series. It's going to be a shared series. Uh, I and Pastor Haley and Pastor Jeremy will be preaching it together. It's going to be a wonderful summer series for you to get strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Come on, somebody. That's what Ephesians 6.10 says. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Today, uh, yeah, there's the graphic for it right there called Suited. So we're going to, it's not just about being in a, a, a nice dressed uh, uh, uniform or outfit, but we're going to talk to you in a very special way about the suit that we need in order to be an effective Christian. So today we're in, uh, I believe, Built number 6. The title of the message today is called uh, Built for Relationship, God's Bride. Say that with me. Built for Relationship, God's Bride. I'm going to ask you to stand one more time. I know you've gotten comfortable, but let's get our series text together. We always honor the Word of the Lord together by standing, reading it together. This is our text, Ephesians 2.20. Say it with me. Here we go. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. One more time, like you really mean it. Come on. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Bow your hearts with me, please. Gracious God, thank you for the gift of eternal life that is in Christ and in Christ alone. Thank you, Jesus that not only are you the foundation, but you're the capstone. You're, you're, you're the penthouse in the building. God, thank you that you're beneath us holding us up and you are above us covering and protecting. Jesus, it's all about you. We acknowledge that this morning. We ask you to come today, Holy Spirit, and by your grace, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Give us understanding and perception. Lord, we acknowledge that apart from you, we can do nothing, and we thank you today that that in Christ, through Christ, we can do all things through you who strengthens us. We give you praise. Uh, alert every one of us and make alive those who are spiritually dead. Awaken the sleepers in this place. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. you may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Built for relationship, God's bride. I have one thing that I want to weave throughout the content of this message for about the next 35 minutes as we are here together this morning. I want you to read that first line twice. Here we go. To talk is cheap, to walk is costly. Now say it like you mean it. To talk is cheap, to walk is costly. Now let's finish it. The new creation person is called to talk and walk out of a whole new way of life. The Apostle Paul is a brilliant thinker. I love to study the letters to the churches because he is a linear thinker. He begins with a premise. He lays the foundation and then he begins to build on that foundation. In every one of the books that the Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament, 13 of which are verified, 14 if you count the book of Hebrews, um, literally begin with, Hebrews is in a class itself, all by itself, but in all of these other epistles, the way Paul writes to us is he lays a foundation of teaching first. It is always reminding us of where we came from, now who we are, not what we used to be, but who we are now in Christ. You will find that concept, this identification relationship in every one of the epistles of Paul, he will talk about what it means to be in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 says, In Adam all die, in Christ shall all be made alive. When you really think about it, there are only two men in the earth, two corporate men. You're either in Adam, your life is being regulated by death and sin and bondage and darkness, or you're in Christ, no longer dead but alive, no longer a slave but now a son, no longer darkness but now light, no longer walking in hatred but now living a lifestyle of love. Can somebody say amen? amen. 
So Paul lays the foundation for us. He is very careful every time to talk about the fact that this is not in our own strength, in our own ability. We can't earn it or deserve it, but it is all by grace. It is by His grace that we've been given this gift. We stand here this morning boldly today, not in our own strength or in our own righteousness, certainly because it's His filthy rags, but we stand enrobed, engarbed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. For He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Everybody say, in Christ. Okay, so Paul always takes the first half of every letter and he, he reminds us that we've been raised from death, raised up with Christ, seated with Christ in heavenly places. He literally hangs us in the heavens with the stars. But then halfway through, he departs from this positional truth and he sort of grabs us by the ankles, seated in the throne with Christ, ruling and reigning as priests and kings on the earth right now. And he brings us back down and puts our feet on the ground on the terra firma, and he says, now based on who you know now that you are, walk this way. Look at your neighbor and say, walk this way. We've been talking about that now for all of chapter 4. We wrapped up where all these things that we did last Sunday in our Memorial Day, wonderful picnic. Give, give Heather a hand if you would, please. Jerome Alford, Bedford Little. Buddy Warner, all those guys are first service folks we just mentioned. They're always here for the 9 o'clock service. Did a great job cooking the burgers and the dogs and everybody who served. We thank you so much. If you didn't serve, we wouldn't have been able to have accomplished what we did. It was a great time, fellowship, wonderful food, um, a little bit hot. We, we talked this week when we met in staff. We said we're definitely going to have more tents next year. So folks, and maybe some fans. So if we sit outside. Um, so Paul talks us positionally in Christ, but then he brings our feet back firmly on the ground and he starts to talk about our condition how my life now needs to match my identity in the heavenlies. My citizenship is in heaven. My conversation is in heaven. My behavior now needs to betray my new identity. It needs to, folks need to not have to see, identify a fish on my car to know that a Christian is driving it. That means that I can't just, I can't just uh, give folks the, the Hawaiian bird of happiness when I get upset and get cut off in traffic. Uh, that I need to be patient and kind. And I need to unwrap all of the grave clothes that we took off of Lazarus last Sunday. Matthew Gaddis did a great job and we put off lying and slander and malice and stealing and, and bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and malice and all of these things and we learn to put on Christ to be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do, Ephesians 4.32. Some of you who grew up in church like I did, you know why I did that. That was a song we sang because we would memorize verses of Scripture by doing those silly little ditties like that. Now, that's what we used to be. Put all that junk off. Now, so the Apostle Paul is talking about now in a relationship as the bride of God, we are called to be people who are holy. We are set apart. Doesn't mean we are religious or pharisaical or look down self-righteous noses at people who are struggling. Because if we're really truthful, even though we're on a new journey and we are new, fresh, new creations of Christ, every one of us in this room have to acknowledge that we are still undergoing transformation. The beauty of this and the irony of it is that while God has called me to preach the gospel of transformation, He is still actively involved in changing me right now, which can be a point of frustration sometimes because you expect to look and see perfection. And let me just remind you that when you come looking for that in me, I will quickly deflect and point to you, there's only one who is perfect and His name is Jesus Christ. You find what you're looking for. The book of Proverbs says you go looking for evil, you'll find evil. Everybody in this room, you still have a struggle. There's some area that you're still not completely fixed. And we could take time for a moment and go back to Deuteronomy where it talked about God would deliver the children of Israel little by little from all of the nations, from all the ites, the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Ammonites. God little by little is sending Joshua, our heavenly Joshua, Jesus into this promised land to invade and drive out all the termites and the Hittites and everything in your land that's not godly. Come on, somebody. Look at your neighbor and say, he's still working on me. All right, so we're going to jump in this morning. And number one, as we roll into this, my first principle is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Everybody say that word right there. 
mimic. Well, now that just sounds a little bit, a little bit presumptuous. Pastor, that's just almost a preposterous idea that you would suggest that we would mimic God. I don't think it's an outrageous idea at all. It's a biblical idea. Let me just show you as we open up Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. This is in the English Standard Version. In the King James, it says, Therefore be followers of God. Somehow we lose the, 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 the full meaning of the word. The Greek word here is mimetes. It's in your notes, in the, the, the bulletin on your lap. Mimetes. It literally, we get the English word mimic. The English Standard does some, uh, such a better job because it gives us the word, what do you see there? Imitators. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And, and what you have to see is that the only way you can imitate someone is after having been in his or her presence. So if we're going to be children of God that are beloved, look at your neighbor and say, you be loved. <laughs> you got that. All right. We are the beloved of the Lord. That means that God has lavished, indescribably poured out his love upon us. A few years ago, I walked into the old Garrett's hardware store on 7th Street. Uh, you know, as wonderful as it is to go and find 10,000 things at Walmart, sometimes there's some things you can't get there. You just got to go back to the old hardware store. 20 years ago it was. I was 34. Drew was 7. He's my 27-year-old son now. We walked in. He walked in ahead of me, and there's some old codgers in there doing what old codgers do. And they're just cracking jokes and laughing. And I walked in there, and he walks in ahead of me, and he looked, he looked like a mini-me. And just the way, and, and the guy said, man, you marked him, didn't you? <laughs> Drew just smiles ear to ear, big old toothy smile, very extroverted, outward going like I am. Drew's very much like I am. I'm a polarizing kind of person. Either you really like me or you really don't like me. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm, I'm okay in my skin. I live to please the Lord. I hope you like me. And if you don't, you know what? I got other fish to fry. Praise God. <clears throat> And I think if, if people could learn to live that way and just be who they are and not try to please everybody else, just learn to please God, then I think the world could be an entirely different kind of place. So these old guys looked at me and said, man, you sure marked him. Another one spoke up and, and said, yeah, you couldn't deny him if you wanted to. When I went home and told my wife about that, she said, I don't think I appreciate that. <laughs> Some of you got that. Uh, no, there's no denying. I marked him. He looks like me. He walks like me. He acts like me. And the whole point is is that no matter how much sometimes in my own imperfection as a young, inexperienced father would tell him, don't do what I just did, do what I say. How many, how many times have we heard that growing up, don't do what I do, do what I say? Well, what are you going to do every time? What you saw your parents do. You're going to imitate it. You're going to mimetes. You're going to mimic it. I, I, I have used the illustration for years kind of as a contagion and infection and, and, and as it relates to leadership. I can preach the gospel of measles, but if I have the mumps and you get around me, what are you going to catch? Some of you are going, what is mumps? <laughs> See, we, we enjoy all the vaccinations that we've had over the years and nobody, you don't hear anybody having those diseases anymore. The whole point is they're contagious and your lifestyle is contagious. When we get around the Lord, when we spend time in worship, not just as a spectator here on Sunday morning watching what everybody else is doing and checking out going, what is, what is she wearing over there? My when we forget about everybody else, when we focus on the Lord and give God some praise, come on, when we don't just come to church on Sunday in order to get fed, but we go to the table and we learn to feed ourselves as we mature in our walk in God. Come on, somebody. Now, we've we, we got to stop thinking like little babies and acting like infants. The Scripture says, Desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow, grow thereby. But let's guess what? You've been in church 20 years. It's time you sit up at the table. This is a fork, son. Put it in your hand. Feed. Eat. Open the Bible. Read a chapter a day. Stop and pray. Get yourself spiritually fed. Drew was eight months old when Dawn decided to let him try some chicken spaghetti. And I have a picture of it that I love. It's on the wall behind his high chair. It's all in his hair, all over his face, and the noodles are hanging off the side of the high chair. And he's up here like this with his mouth down, and he's scraping that spaghetti into his mouth because he was growing. He was a, a young boy who was hungry. And the same thing happens when you are healthy spiritually. You will be hungry for God. You will learn to feed yourself. You don't just 
fast and starve your spirit man all week long and then show up at church with a critical spirit going, I hope Pastor Michael really knocks the ball out of the park today because if he doesn't feed me, I won't get fed this week. Well, what in the world is wrong with that kind of a mentality in the first place? You better learn to feed yourself. You better learn to grow up. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time for us all to grow up. Now, as we learn to mimic, imitate God, let's hit this quickly. Number one, walk in love. This contrasts the old life of hatred. Walk in love. Let's roll through it. Here we go. Walk in love, he says, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, I love that, fragrant offering, and a sacrifice to God. The kind of love that God is talking about is love that gives, love that is generous, if the Spirit of God is in you, you will become a generous person. You will share your time. You will share your talent. You will share your treasure. Those things that are dear to you, you learn and begin to exhibit the very thing that Jesus said. It's better to give than it is to receive. Why? Because the, law, the first law of love is giving. John 3.16, do you know it? For God so loved that He gave. God is a giver. God gave because He loved. We walk in love. We, need, we learn how to give. We give sacrificially. We learn to give God praise. We learn to give others encouragement. We learn to walk and speak the truth in love. And as we move on through this, I want you to see some of the very practical things. A lot of folks just say, you know, man, I love those early parts of the chapters of Paul's epistles and I just want the teaching. Yeah, because they don't want to get down to the part where Paul says, now based on who you are, you've got to learn how to walk on who you are. Okay, let's see what Paul says. Sexual immorality. The Greek word is pornia. We get our English word pornography from it. Now, I'm not going to stop and beat anybody over the head here. This is not just looking at wrong pictures on your smartphone or your tablet or your computer or a magazine. This is not just viewing something voyeuristically, but this is sexual immorality. Pornia in the Greek world described everything that perverted the blessing of God in sexuality between a husband and a wife. Now, I just want to say this to you. It's a, a huge hot-button issue these days, and I'm not going to be tempted to stop and, and beat the horse this morning. But I want to tell you with all of my heart, we will never compromise on what the Scripture has to say about the biblical origin of marriage. It is a biblical idea first, and it is between a man and a woman. We will love anyone who walks through this door. We will wrap our arms around them. We will embrace them in the name of Jesus. We will show them that in Christ they are loved and accepted. But we do not blur the lines of truth because truth, like Winston Churchill said, you cannot like it, you can deride it, you can hate it, but still in the end, there it is. The truth is incontrovertible. It is still the truth. All right? So he goes on, he says, in all impurity... You know what? We, we don't have to take the time and, and, and dig deep and examine Greek words. And you, you know in your spirit. If Christ is in you, you can know when it's not right. You can know when you've crossed the line. And we are not saying that you don't ever uh, experience temptation or that you might not slip and fall into some of these areas. And I do not for one second believe that you lose your salvation with God. Your relationship is intact. Your fellowship might be tangled up and messed up. But I want to tell you that if Christ has truly ever come into your heart and, and resurrected you from spiritual death and made you alive, you may probably will go back and visit some habits from the past or some experiences or stumble and fall. But I want to tell you because now you have been born again and the Word of God is on the inside of you and the Spirit of God now inhabits you as the temple of the Lord, you cannot stay in that muddy pit of sin that you used to enjoy because He will convict you and He will make you miserable. Somebody says, well, I was just born this way. And I want to go, yes, so was everybody else on the planet. We were all born in sin. Every one of us in this room has certain proclivities. We are bent toward certain areas of temptation and sin. I am, you are, everybody else. Don't look at me in that kind of tone of voice. Everybody in this room is bent 
towards sin. And when Christ comes into you and gives you a new nature that now leads you toward righteousness, you now have a choice where you didn't used to even have a choice. You just did what dead people do. But now you're alive in Christ and so you no longer walk in hatred, but you walk in love. All of these things, you know what they are. He, but look what he says. It's not just preaching against lustful things as in sexuality, but it's also lustful things as in things. You can get just as messed up in sin uh, lusting after your neighbor's speedboat or the two Sea-Doo's or uh, her new SUV or her new fur, fur coat or her engagement ring that's bigger than yours is. Come on, all this nonsense that people comparing one another to each other and you're going to lose every time. It's not about any of that stuff. He says when we do this, he says this stuff must not even be named among you as is proper among... There it is, say it. What is it? Saints. Apostle Paul doesn't call you a sinner saved by grace. That's a man-made term. You know what? I'm not saying you don't ever sin. I'm saying the idea of being a sinner has to do with your old man, your old nature. And if you come up here and we fill this tank up and we have a burial service where we celebrate and we bury the old dude and we raise you up in a whole new life, it's putting away the past. It's identifying a new life, a new lifestyle, a new walk, a new talk. You're not the same person with just another chance. That's bad southern churchianity. And we put it on our bumpers saying, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Look, nobody in here has to worry about us teaching or preaching perfectionism. I'm not perfect. If you hang around me a little bit, you figure it out real quick. I get frustrated. I get impatient. He's still working on me. But thank God he is perfect. But the idea of what that bumper sticker communicates is, I'm really no different than you. I've just been given a pardon. I've got, I've got this awareness now that I can just pray and get forgiveness. And Christians keep living in that kind of nonsense, being told every Sunday, well, you're going to sin a little bit every day. And guess what? They go out and do what they've been told. I'm telling you, Paul says, don't even let it be named among you as is proper among. There it's, come on, say it. Look at your neighbor and say, either you a saint or you an ain't. You can't be dead and alive at the same time. Come on. You, you, you can't have the new nature of the new man and keep walking in the deeds of the old man. Paul says, put it off. Deal with it. Put it away. Roll. Number four. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Come on. We all hang around all kinds of folks in the world. You have boardroom meetings where the CEO may be the foulest mouth Maybe the guy in the next cubicle over you at your work who may just talk like a sailor. I've been around some people that I've heard words I've never heard before. You know what? I'm 54 years old. I was a recently, <laughs> and I'm not naive, but there is a pursuit of purity. Notice the two are the same. When you're grown, God's not looking for you to stay innocent. He wants you to be pure, and there's two different things. Innocence means you don't even know all the evil that's in the world. Purity means you know it's there, but you choose to walk according to the light. That's what God wants. Now, you want your babies to stay innocent as long as they can. But I was around some folks lately, and I thought, man, he's making up cuss words I didn't even know existed. <laughs> and I was kind of boggle-eyed. And I'll be honest, some of the stuff he said was funny, and I had to fight, and I had to speak up. And let me just say this to you as well. A number of years ago, I was a very regular gym person, and, and, and uh, a lot of times there would be people who would get to know me and talk to me for months before they'd find out that I was a pastor. And I did that on purpose because in the gym, guys that are guys, they just talk like guys do, and they use very loose language and four-letter words. But when they find out I'm a preacher, they get real religious on me. <laughs> well, pastor, what do you think about the parable of the sower? And I want to go, I just heard that bleep, bleepity, bleep, bleep, bleep you just said right there. What? And so I go a long time. And then when they find out that I'm a preacher, it's just, they're almost ashamed. They come to me and go, I'm so sorry I wouldn't have talked to you around you. And I, and I, I always go, you know what? I'd rather you be who you are than to be fake with me. And it's like they see, they've never heard a preacher even talk like that. And it's like real. And so then all of a sudden I have an open door. They say, this guy's, this guy's legit. He's real. And so I start to talk to them about how Jesus can change your life. Don't let any of this nonsense 
Fill yourself up with the things of God. Spend time in the Word. Tune into K-Love. If you don't like that, you know, maybe that's just not your cup of tea with that kind of music. But find something that you can relate to. If it's Christian hip-hop, if it's water, something that's going to get some content of some Word down into you and that will build you and strengthen you and, and keep you set on fire from having been in the presence of God. Somebody say amen. All right, i, I got to roll. Right, let me check my time. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, there's that Greek word pornia again, everyone who's sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater. Any of these things, when I step outside the bounds of the vows that I've committed to my wife and I start doing things that are blessed in marriage, but I do it outside of the marriage, literally God says I am committing the greater sin of idolatry. If I'm lusting after the SUV or whatever it is, any number of things that we can talk about. The scripture says this person has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, you can't keep practicing that mess. You keep practicing that mess, then I would really say that your salvation is in peril. I really begin to question whether or not you really even had it in the first place. And I'll, I'll talk straight this morning like sometimes you don't hear me talk. But the Bible tells us to examine ourselves and see whether we be in the faith. Because if you're walking in this kind of stuff... I would question whether the Spirit of God really is on the inside of you. Don't shout me down now. All right, number six. Here we go. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. All kinds of folks pulling you in all kinds of directions and every kind of way out there. The Bible says don't get drawn into it. Don't. Next verse wraps up this section. It says don't become partners with them. Don't get in covenant with them. Don't become best buddies with somebody that's doing everything that is contrary to your new life, your new nature, your new talk, your new walk. Talk is easy. Walk is costly. Come on. My mama used to say you lay down with the dogs, you get up with the fleas. And so we've got to realize who we're hanging around. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Bad company corrupts good character. Doesn't mean you can't. Matter of fact, I encourage you to have friends that are sinners. But your light needs to shine into their darkness and not the other way around. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together. Give the Lord praise. Next section. Walk in light. We're contrasting here. No longer hate but love. No longer darkness but light. No longer a slave, but now a son. No longer dead, but now alive. So he says, now walk in light. For at one time you were, look at it, it's past tense. You were darkness, but now what are you? Light in the, hello light. Come on, you are the light of the world, Jesus said. You are a city set on a hill which cannot be hid. He says, so therefore walk as children of light. Don't be lurking around, covering up, hiding things that people do in secret and in the dark. Display your life in a visible kind of way and let your good deeds be exposed to the world. For at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 9. For the, fruits, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Next verse. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I want to please God. And if the Spirit of the Lord is in you, there is something inside you that wants God to be pleased with the way you're living. There's something in you that wants to hear God say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. This doesn't mean you're going around looking for, uh, you know, turning over every rock, trying to find problems in people's lives. It means let your life be filled with light so that literally... Not out of a Bible-thumping, self-righteous, looking down your nose at people, but your demeanor, your talk, your behavior, your conversation, your manner of life literally becomes convicting to those people around you that are trying to walk in that way of death and that way of hatred and that way of darkness. Next one, verse 12. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Paul wrote and said, don't even let this be named among you. This shouldn't even be. It shouldn't be in the churches of God. It shouldn't be named. Don't, don't even, it's shameful to even talk about what some of these people are doing. And I, I can't stop here. I would love to stop and give you a history lesson on the metropolitan area of Ephesus. It was the Bank of Asia. It was the location of the great temple of Diana. Artemis is the other alternate name. And Diana was a sex cult. 
And the hundreds of thousands of people that inhabited Ephesus 2,000 years ago were demanded by the practices of Diana to involve themselves in all kinds of sexual immorality and pornia that Paul is talking about. And because of that, every kind of sexually transmitted disease was rampant all over that whole region of Turkey today, Asia Minor, Ephesus at that period of time. Paul says, this shouldn't even be named among you. Don't let it be mentioned among you. Come on, are you hearing me this? Y'all are quiet. Uh, now, now listen, if it's, if it's in your past, the blood of Jesus can cover it. But let's don't keep living in the pit of sin and the mud and the muck and the mire. Come on, somebody. Let's let God clean us up and let's walk in light and no longer in darkness. Verse 13, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, oh, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. I wish I had time. Paul is quoting from numerous biblical citations in the Old Testament. I can think of at least three in Isaiah where he says, Awake, O sleeper, and put on thy strength. Isaiah 60 verse 1 says, Arise and shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. So Paul is saying, don't stay asleep. Don't be lulled into all of the conforming of the culture around you. Just because the whole city is crazy and they're involved in this sex cult of worshiping Diana, don't let it be named among you. Just because everybody does it, just because all the people at your work, all the guys have got pornography going on their computers, just because everybody else does it, you're a believer, you are sanctified, you're set apart, you're a saint of God, you're not darkness anymore, you're now light in the Lord. Are you hearing anything this morning? Come on, verse 15. Here we go. Next one, walk in wisdom. Everybody say walk in wisdom. All right, we got three things we want to hit real quickly. Number one, the first one is time. He says, look carefully then how you walk. He says, not as unwise, but as wise. So we want to walk in wisdom. First, we're walking in love. Next, we're walking in light. Now we're walking in wisdom. Look to the next verse, verse 16. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I want to speak to this for just a moment this morning. Because we live in a day when we are so consumed with all the stuff that we do. Folks will give two hours a day to social media and you don't want to give an hour to church to Jesus on Sunday morning? Are you kidding me? Now, I'm not a condemnation kind of preacher, but I'm going to set a couple things straight in the next few minutes. So you just go ahead, look at your neighbor and say, we better buckle up. <laughs> don't wriggle off the surgical table because I'm going to cut a couple things this morning. It wears me out. Everybody in the room, this is the one place we're equal. Everybody has 168 hours in your week. This is the one place where we're equal, truly. Gifts vary. Wealth of families vary. Education varies. But we all have the same amount of time. I used to say, God, I wish I could have a 40-hour day where I could work 20 hours and play 10 and sleep 10. It would be great. But he's not given that to me. It would be wonderful. What I choose to do with my time, the Bible says, walk in wisdom. Uh, Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days so that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Teach us to number them aright. It wears me out when people are consumed with all the things that they're just running around all, their, all week long and just like chickens. They're wearing themselves out, burning themselves out, not digging in the Word, not spending time in prayer, no worship, no... And they come in here on Sunday morning totally, nearly starving. And then go, Pastor, you better really preach a good one today. And oh, by the way, I need to drop off my team because I'm burnt out. Can I just be real plain for a couple of minutes this morning? Your one time a month is not what's burning you out, sweetheart. Your one time a month that is so hard for you and so inconvenient to follow through on your commitment. Let me tell you what people have, that are filled with light, people that are filled with love, people that are filled with wisdom do. They keep their commitments long after the excitement about when they signed on the line saying, I'll do this. Oh, I'm preaching so good. Y'all are just speechless, aren't you? <laughs> Everybody look at your name and say, Christians follow through. That might put us in some different perspectives. The pastor, you're just being hard. No, I'm telling the truth. I'm speaking the truth in love. <laughs> A few years ago, I'm on, the, I'm on the south loop. 
I'm on the phone with my wife. She's on the North Loop. She's taking Don, she's taking Drew to Millington where he's on a traveling baseball team. And I'm going to University of Memphis where Abby's taking a violin lesson, got a group lesson. Three days later, we're going to go back and take a private lesson. Drew's got at least two or three practices a week. And we spent that year literally just moving around the whole 240 loop talking on the phone. Dawn's in Cordova. She's in Collierville. She's in Bartlett. We had a traveling team to some degree there. One would fizzle, then we'd go to another one. He was doing that. There were times I would switch and I would take him, and she would take Abby to her group lesson on Monday and then her private lesson on Thursday afternoon. And, and then Abby was doing gymnastics, and she was dancing with Miss Cheryl for a while. Some of y'all remember Cheryl Anderson, sweet lady. And Drew was trying to do Boy Scouts, and he was trying. Let me just tell you something. When you've got your kids in that many things, you are wearing yourself out. And I finished the year, and I looked at Dawn, and I said, we're never doing this again. Our children are going to pick one thing. We're not going to run a taxi service. Because we are called of God to get to Sunday and we don't come in totally parched, totally starving. I have to come in here full, ready to feed some folks. When you come to the house of God, it's not begging with a beggar's cup rattling uh, across the bars of bondage in your life. No, you should come filled up, ready to give to the, the Lord the glory that is due His name. I, I'm preaching so good right now, I'm about going to preach myself happy. Come on, somebody. What little bit you do at church is not what's wearing you out. It's not what's spiritually burning. The crazy thing is that people will come to us and say, I need to drop. And there are very legitimate reasons. you got a new baby. You've had a death in the family. Look, we're going to surround you and we're going to encourage you. Take your time off. But there have been folks who have been taking time off and had a break for years now. It's time you get up off your blessed assurance and get on a serve team. <laughs> Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I just told you what the will of the Lord is right there. Verse 18, here we go. Y'all still love me? I want you to, but I don't care whether you don't like me right now or not, as I'm telling you the truth. He says, and don't get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This is moderation. Oh, man, it's just, just such a huge thing in the South. Because we were so slammed historically in the 1800s with a movement called the temperance movement, because half the men who were workers in America were drunk. We didn't have clean drinking water in our cities. It's a whole side story I'd like to tell about a, a godly family in Ireland, the name of the Guinness family, because all the men in Ireland were drunk on whiskey because they didn't have clean water to drink, and they're not showing up at work. And the Spirit of the Lord gave the originator of Guinness beer a, a whole new plan, and he developed Guinness beer at 4.5% alcohol so that we could put a whole generation of men back to work in Ireland. And there's a whole book written by a close friend of mine, Stephen Mansfield, Great historian, wonderful author, and the book is called Of God in Guinness. And now some of you just about can't believe that because you've just been told your whole life that, you know, if you're really a Christian, you're a teetotaler. And you know what? If that's your belief, fine. Let every man be convinced in his own mind. But you can't preach that and be honorable and be faithful to the text of Scripture because Scripture is, teaches moderation. It does not teach abstinence. Now, if you have alcoholic issues, you better be abstinent. But you don't need to be judgmental to a brother or sister who enjoys a glass of wine with his wife at a meal. The Bible says the sin is not in the drink. The sin is in drunkenness. Now, if you can't stop with one or two, then you better leave it alone. But we love to hammer this in the South. And we have been so hammered, especially in Baptist and Pentecostal churches. And I'm part of one of those from my history. And we were so affected by a historical movement called the temperance movement. And ironically, oddly enough, the temperance movement, was, which means moderation, was teaching total abstinence. And so out of that historical movement, the South bought into that. Now they'd go to church and shout on Sunday morning and they'd be sure their still was hooked up in the mountains in their moonshine on Sunday night. Now, I don't want to offend anybody, but you know, the old joke is the Muslims don't recognize the Jews and the Jews don't recognize the Christians and the Baptists don't recognize each other at the liquor store. <laughs> if that offends you, I'll ask your forgiveness after service. But how, ma how many of you know I'm telling the truth? Amen. Now, let's get off our religiosity and let's just obey the scripture. Don't get drunk. And we hear that hammered over and over and over and over and over and over again. And let me just confess my sin to you right now. I'm carrying too many pounds. 
I went through five years of declining health issues and right now I've been more active the last 60 days than I have been in years and I was in the gym years ago and the truth of the matter is I was burning up so many calories I could be a glutton then and you didn't know it because I was in the gym lifting weights. My waist was eight inches less than what it is right now. Some of you can't believe that I just confessed that sin to you. But you hang around because it's going down. You're going to see less and less of me. Some of you wonder if I'm hooked up to Darth Vader. This is counting my steps. It's reading how many calories I'm burning right now. All these churches we've been a part of in the religious Mid-South and Southern Christianity will hammer the drunkenness. But every time you find drunkenness in the book of Proverbs, it has a companion sin called gluttony. And how many times have you ever heard preachers get in the pulpit, most of which are probably where I am, 75 pounds, maybe 100 pounds overweight, and they'll hammer the alcoholic. They'll just beat up the person who's drinking a little bit of alcohol. How many of you know, and they were sitting here going, because what is the deal with this? What is the deal? We like to wrestle against and battle against sins that we don't struggle with, but we don't say anything about the stuff that we wrestle with. I'm going to be very plain, and I, and I may offend a couple of folks by saying this, but I'm just going to tell you, I'm free in this area. I would never do anything to offend anybody. I went for years never touching it. It didn't touch my lips. But I went to China, and we were 21 days. I lost 22 pounds in 21 days because everybody on our whole team of 10 got sick. We took medicine. We were taking Lamotil. We were doing all these prophylactic pills trying to prevent the junk that we were having. I lost two pant sizes in China and Mongolia. And finally, the, the leader of the team, who was an Assembly of God man with a great ministry called Change the World School of Prayer, Richard Smith, Grew up a Methodist, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit out of the Methodist church, became an assembly of God man, and he took a whole mixture of, uh, of denominational varieties, and we went to China and Mongolia, and everybody on the team was sick for, for the whole three weeks except one guy, and we started figuring, we started asking questions. Well, what are you not doing that we're doing? We were drinking bottled water out of Hong Kong, bottled by Coca-Cola, and there was something in that water that was making all of us sick, but we didn't know it. And so Richard prayed, and the Lord led him to the book of Timothy, and the scripture said, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. And so Richard went and found a wine store, and he bought, because we had a, a team of 10, he bought about three bottles, I think, and he said, I want you to, to get a good bit here because we're going to kill the germs. Do you know we all woke up the next morning, and the problems we were having had all been dealt with? And for years, I'd never let it touch my lips, and I started realizing, you know what, I've been a legalist about this. Now, my son came home for Easter, I bought a six-pack of Michelob Lights, Ultras. And we sat out on our patio, and we both drank one. Six weeks later, there's four of them still in my, the drawer in my refrigerator. So alcohol's not an issue for me. But you put a cheesecake on the shelf in that refrigerator, and I'm in trouble. <laughs> Can I just tell the truth? Forget moderation. If there's a cheesecake and it's got some raspberry, white chocolate, I'm going to speak in tongues over my white chocolate raspberry. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you picking up what I'm throwing out here? Come on, come on. Why is it we beat others up on sins we don't struggle with, but yet we overlook ours and we even laugh about it? Y'all laughed when I said a cheesecake. Why? I bet it's because some of you have the same struggle. I, but anyway. All right, I'm over. I'm over. Let me move. Here we go. Verse 19. Next one, walk. Are you getting anything out of this today? Amen. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom, walk in the Spirit. Here we go. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. What are we saying, first of all? If you're full of the Spirit, praise will come out of your mouth. You'll have a smile on your face. Somebody says, I'm a Christian. I have... I have the joy of the Lord. <laughs> What's the guy who is the hilarious ventriloquist and has the old... Walter, that's it, yes. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> so, some Christians just look like they were sucking on a persimmon, got baptized in pickle juice. I'm telling you, you want to go, you have joy? Please notify your face because I can't tell it. Joy. Okay, if I'm full of the Spirit, I will have a song in my heart. I will be talking about Jesus. Move quickly with me. Are you getting anything out of this? Next, I'm going to have, look at this, what does it say? Giving thanks. I will have an attitude 
of gratitude. If I'm walking in the Spirit, I will be thankful. I will not always be complaining. Sometimes you need to, uh, you need to give a respectful, legitimate complaint. But if all you've got is a complaint, I ain't got time to hear it. I am not running. The complaint department is closed down. You're offended? We'll get out Matthew 18. We'll figure out how we can fix it and get healed. But folks that don't have anything to come out of their mouth but complaints, you need to get saved. You need to get born again because your language will change. Don't shout me down. I'm preaching real good. The last one is submission. Everybody say, say submission. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Somebody said recently this week, I heard him say, you know, I came to victory because the pastor is not a God like he is in other churches. I just want to say to you, I kick over pedestals when people try to put me on one. I'm still in process. I'm still growing. One of the most beautiful things that has happened in my life over the years is to deal with some insecurities and realize that I can learn from other people and not be threatened in my gift or what he has for me. And so in that I can learn because I hear the voice of Christ and someone else who is more developed in an area than I am and I'm not losing my authority or my influence by willingly submitting because I see the gift of Christ and I hear the voice of Christ coming out of that person's mouth. So if I'm walking in the Spirit, I learn how to submit myself. Now, let me just say this. As the team leader, as the pastor of this church, there is an aspect of having the final say, but we sit down as a team and we submit things one to another and we make decisions as team. And honestly, I'm going to tell you, there, there aren't... I couldn't put it on one hand in the last five years when I've looked at my team and said, guys, I'm not bending on this. One issue that I did was when we were arguing about how we interpret the presence of God. And I won't back up from that because the presence of God is critical. I, will, I won't do church and just go through the motions. I want the presence of God in this church. And so when it comes to things like that, what we're about to touch in this last one is this issue of walking in submission. Now, now buckle in because I've got a couple more things I need to say that are, that are difficult. But remember, Paul said this first. Okay? So don't get mad at me. Look, here we go. All the guys. Pastor, when are you going to preach on Ephesians 5 where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands? Here we go. This is your Sunday, brother. <laughs> Wives, there it is. Submit. Submit to your own husbands. Now, let me just say that submission and authority is either at one of two extremes in the body of Christ. Is either there's none at all, and you've got a bunch of wimpy, panty-waist Ahabs that are married to some Jezebels. I told you I was going to tell it. And a lot of times, Ahab's sitting on the deacon board, and Jezebel's running him from home. No submission, no authority whatsoever, or you come over to the other side of the extreme and you've got complete, total control and lording over people's lives. I believe, like anything in Scripture, there is a healthy balance. Before I ask my wife to submit to me as a husband, as it says right here in this verse, I have just read that because I'm walking in the Spirit, we submit to one another in the reverence of the Lord. Do you know that sometimes the voice of the Lord has a female sound to it and it's coming out of Dawn Smith's mouth? Somebody said to me one time, said, Pastor, we'd like to take you out to lunch. I said, okay, there's my wife. Go talk to her. He said, well, aren't you the head? I said, yeah, but that's the neck that turns the head right there. <laughs> Are y'all following me? All right, look at this, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So we're going to see here what God is calling husbands to do. Because I guarantee you, if husbands will do what Christ did for the church, there isn't a wife in the house that won't willingly submit to that husband. Look on, come on, here we go. Verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything. I looked up the Greek word everything, and it means everything. Everything to their husbands. Y'all like that? Let me move on fast before I meet an meet a, a appointment with death after this. Come on. <laughs> Verse 25. He says, husbands, here we go, right here. Husbands, love, everybody say, love your wives. 
Now, that's in every kind of way you can describe love. But the bottom line is sacrificial. That means you decide to lay down your life for her. Come on, dad's husband's in the room. There are times you've given up things you've wanted, sometimes things you need to make sure she has what she needs and wants. And the two of you together do the same thing to make sure your children get everything that they need and a lot of times what they want. You are living a life. If you are a Christian husband and a Christian father, you are living a life sacrificially because you love your children and you love your wife. And by the way, the best thing you can do for your babies is to love their mama. Come on, somebody. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's not a woman in the room who will willingly submit to a man who will do for her what Christ did and does for the church. Everybody said. Verse 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Listen. As a husband, you need to be encouraging, building into her, reminding her when she gets insecure and gets worried about things. You don't do what Adam did in the garden when she's standing up there listening to the serpent who slithered up there challenging what God has said and Adam stands there and commits the sin of silence. But you speak up as a new creation man and you say, Now, sweetheart, let's remember this is the word of the Lord. This is what God said. Now, let's calm the worry down. Let's pray together. Bless her. Don't rebuke her all the time, but bless her. Because as much as you are given to lust, she is given to worry. It doesn't mean that, that men don't worry and women don't lust. But typically, those are the two big sins that we wrestle down. Okay? You make her secure in your house, brother, and you'll have the best sex you've ever had in your life. Come on, this is the house of God. Paul spoke to it. We need to get real. I know people are afraid to say amen. You want to. You want to say amen. Come on. (laughs) Wash her with the water. Because we're members of his body that he might sanctify her. Go ahead and we're finished. Let's wrap it up. Roll quickly. I'm, I'm, I'm finishing. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Verse, two more verses and we're done. This mystery is profound that I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Finally, last one. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We walk in love. We walk in light. We walk in wisdom. We walk in submission. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that the Spirit of God shows us how to be in relationship. If I'm in relationship with God, I can always have an attitude of gratitude coming out of my mouth. Come on, the African-American church said it this way for three generations because they didn't have any, they didn't have two pennies to rub together. They would stand up in church and testify and say, I'm thankful that I woke up in my right mind and that I have breath in my body to give God praise and that I have use of my limbs. You want to know why? Because they were living in a Jim Crow segregated society where people told them they were free but didn't want to let them live free. And I'm thankful to God. Thankful to God that I had a little bit of that heritage in my background where I I learned that I could wake up in the morning and say, God, no matter how troubled things are, I'm thankful that I woke up in my right mind and I have breath in my body and I have a choice and I'm going to give you praise. I'm going to give you thanksgiving with all that is within me, whether I feel like it or not, whether I'm going to make sure that I follow through and keep my commitments. When I feel like I'm getting burnt out, I don't quit on the things I've committed to, but I go back to the Word and I say, God, thank you that you restore me, that you renew me. I do the basics. I seek His face.